there, and welcome to the Calvary Southeast podcast. You are joining us for part one of our Christmas series, which we're calling Behold. In this week's message, Pastor Nathan talks about the future coming hope of Jesus Christ. When we think of the coming of Jesus, especially around Christmas time, we tend to only think of his first coming in a manger with angels and shepherds and that whole wise men thing. But what about his second coming? That is really where our hope lies as followers of Jesus. So grab your Bibles and let's jump in. This Christmas season, we've kind of taken a theme, and the theme is behold. And that word behold appears in the Old Testament over a thousand times. And in the New Testament, it appears a little over 200 times. And in the Hebrew, it means to simply perceive through sight, to gaze upon, to observe. In the Greek, it means to know and to, again, to see. Um, but even more than just to see is like, be sure to see. Like, don't miss this. Set your focus on this so you don't miss it. Behold it. And when you think about Christmas, the cliche saying is like, you know, keep Jesus or Jesus is the reason for the season. Have you heard that before? Yeah. So what that cute saying, simple saying, is telling us is simply this, behold Jesus. Like, don't miss Jesus in this season. I wonder why that message has to come and be proclaimed, whether it's in behold Jesus or in keep Jesus, you know, the reason for the season. Why do you think that has to be a continual saying that, that we repeat to ourselves over and over again? It's because the world and the distractions of our culture are trying to keep our eyes off of Jesus. We enter the holiday season and they're like, look at the ads, look at, you know, you're, and everyone's shopping online and you're looking at the decorations. And those things are not bad in and of themselves. But if we are only beholding those things and we miss Jesus, we will miss Jesus, the reason for the season. And so that's the heart behind our, our, this series this, this, uh, this month in December is behold Jesus don't miss Jesus. Amen? All right. Kicking us off this morning is Pastor Nathan. Would you welcome him as he brings God's word? Well, I will be discussing and, and kind of opening up this series with the idea of beholding hope. And as I said with first service, one of the, the most hopeful things that we could possibly um, experience, we just did with our children, glorifying and worshiping our Lord. And if that doesn't bring you hope, then I don't know if anything I'm going to say today is going to either, but hopefully it will. So we'll see how it goes. If you want to grab your Bible, open up to Colossians 1, verse 24, and then stand with me as we read. We're just going to read a handful of verses here. Colossians 1, verse 24 is where we will begin. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And Father, right now we just want to give you this time. We ask that you clear any things from our minds, from our hearts, any distractions that we may have. Father, we ask that you speak to each one of us supernaturally through the parsing of your word. Father, we thank you for the time and the opportunity to open your word and to be in your presence. And Father, we ask that you use it mightily in each of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, Again, we're going to be taking a look at these five verses, and within these five verses, there are, I believe, three ways that we're going to see hope manifested in them, or or us being able to behold or grasp onto hope. And so, I do find myself needing to give a small preface before we start. Um, Over the last couple weeks, we have been examining the gospel and the resurrection through 1 Corinthians. But what we've really been doing is we've been really focusing in and looking at Jesus. So over the next several weeks, as Pastor Ryan said, we are going to continue talking about Jesus. There's going to be some overlap. There's going to be some repetition. There might be some similar stories or similar points made. But the fact of the matter is that we cannot talk about hope or joy or peace or love or any of the virtues that we kind of center around the Christmas time without talking about Jesus because he is the manifestation of those virtues. He is the embodiment of those things. So right now this is your warning. Jesus is our subject. He is our focus. He is, as the cliche that Ryan has said multiple times already this morning, the reason for the season. And if you are not down with that, we have great coffee out in the lobby. (laughs) Come back later, but we are talking about Jesus this morning. So, with that being said, I'm praying that through this message, and really through this series, that our focus is not just on Jesus, but that our perspective might even expand and go beyond what we typically focus on during this time of year. I don't want to just remember what he has done. That's typically what we do with Christmas. It's typically looking back at the things that he has done, namely being born in a manger and coming as the Messiah. But I want us to also keep in mind and keep in our perspective what he is doing and what he is going to do. Because that is a significant part of the story Earlier this week, I caught wind of a debate that one of my daughters was having with some of the other teenagers, um, and they were discussing what songs they were going to sing during the Christmas time, and, and this was specifically at uh, one of the homeschool co-ops and everything there during their worship time, what songs they were going to sing, what Christmas carols or, or worship songs they would sing, and one of the teens suggested Joy to the World, and this sparked a debate. I don't know if you understand or knew that there's a debate around joy to the world, but it's not just teenagers. This is actually out in the internet, and you can look it up. But some people argue that joy to the world is not actually a Christmas song, and we shouldn't sing it at Christmas time. 
they're actually adamantly opposed to it being sung at Christmas time. So the argument is pretty straightforward. That is that joy to the world makes no mention of the nativity or baby Jesus, but instead it seems to primarily focus on his second coming rather than his first coming. And I say to that absolutely, yes, yes it does. But does that make it a non-Christmas song? Through the conversation we have today, I hope, if you are leaning that way, that I convince you that it is most definitely a Christmas song. So with that being said, two weeks ago, Pastor Ryan shared the gospel. He broke down the beginning verses of 1 Corinthians 15. He presented the good news as not just something that happened in the past, but that it is something for the present, and it's also something for our future. So for the sake of clarity, here is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, For I delivered to you first, excuse me, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel. Simple, clear, concise. Paul is making a greater point as he's laying down this foundation that it is through the resurrection that we talked about last week that we as believers are able to find our hope. Paul says in verse 12, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. And then in, in verse 20 that we haven't gotten to yet, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And it's through that foundation that our hope actually funnels through the resurrection because the resurrection means that Jesus is not done yet. He was raised to life still with more to do. He is still working. And I want you to remember the, verse, the words that he said to his disciples in John 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believed in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is still working. He is preparing a place for his bride. When Jesus was, when he died and when he was buried, the disciples scattered. They seemed to be hopeless for a time. It seemed that they had been abandoned and that Jesus' work was left incomplete. But when they learned of his resurrection and they saw him again, words like these that he spoke in John would have started to make sense. They would have started to mean something. His resurrection made way for the Holy Spirit to come and for the gospel to spread. But Jesus made it very clear that he was not done with his work. We'll flesh this out more over the coming weeks when we get back into 1 Corinthians. But right now as we look at Colossians, we see Paul presenting a similar thought. 
It is, albeit from a slightly different starting point and a slightly different perspective, but we're going to see that our hope comes from this idea of the gospel and of the resurrection. Now there's one final thing that I want to say before we jump into the text. When we speak of the gospel for being for the past, the present, and the future, we typically break it down into three different things. The first would be justification, the gospel for the past. This is when our sins were forgiven, our debt was paid, and our eternal life has been granted. Then we talk about sanctification, and this is the gospel for the present. If we are a believer in Christ here alive on the earth, this is where we are right now in our sanctification stage of salvation. The gospel of the present. We've been set apart. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God has gifted us, and he has called us. And in Philippians 1.6 it says, I am certain that God, the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And on the day when he returns, then we move into the third stage of our salvation or of the gospel, the gospel of the future, our glorification. This is the sharing in the glory of the Lord. This is our eternal rewards, the hope that is in you, the hope that is in you, the hope that is in me. This is our glorification. Now I'll reference some of these as we go through the, the passage today. Today's message should be pretty straightforward. I'm going to try and do a traditional three-point sermon. So if you're taking notes, you know you're going to have three main points. There might be lots of sub-points, but three main points. That's all you need to worry about. We should be able to move through, through these five verses fairly quickly. But let me just say, I, I know I've been up here probably 10, 15 minutes already. That's just conversation. That doesn't count. Right now, we're starting. All right, we're good? Everyone's following? Verse, one, or verse 24, our first point is hope through a mystery. Hope through a mystery. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is writing to a Gentile audience, the Church of Colossae, an Asian church. And he is primarily writing to combat false teaching, especially regarding the deity of Christ. And in these verses, he speaks of a mystery. Paul speaks of several mysteries in his writings, but here... This one is a, a particular mystery that we're going to flesh out. But when he speaks of these mysteries, it's a way of stating something that was unknowable during the Old Testament period. These mysteries only make sense and they can only be understood or seen through the context of the gospel. <clears throat> so this particular mystery, the mystery that Paul's talking about here, is Christ in you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church. So there are several components 
of this mystery. And again, as we flesh this out, we're going to see how we can grasp or hold on to hope through this mystery. So the first component of the first part of the mystery is the church itself. Paul addresses it and says, you, talking to the audience, talking to us. When the church was born at Pentecost, all believers received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. Prior to this, the Old Testament interactions were temporary. These interactions with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon somebody for a particular event or a particular proclamation. But now at the New Testament church, the Spirit indwells us. The second part of this mystery is the fact that these were Gentiles. The you is indicating a specific audience, not just the general church audience, but a very specific Gentile audience. And this is encouraging to us because we know, most of us primarily being Gentiles, that the gospel is for everybody. So as the above verse shows... The gospel is for everyone. It is the Jewish message of a Jewish Messiah, but all can receive it. So what's significant about this in regards to the mystery is that through the church, Gentiles were free to remain Gentile. See, in the Old Testament, a Gentile would in essence come under the Mosaic law. They would kind of be a second-class citizen following Jewish customs. That was not done in the body of Christ. We do not need to fall under Jewish customs or Jewish law. In the body of Christ, in the church, there is no Jew or Greek, as Paul wrote. So we are able to remain free and, uh, with our own cultural and... and, and um, culture and customs in place. So the mystery that Paul is speaking of is the body of Messiah, the church, that it's made up of both Jew and Gentile, and that all of these people that make up that body are personally and permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So how does this mystery then reveal hope? Well, before we can answer that question, it is important that we have a clear understanding of what biblical hope is. When we throw that word around, there's a lot of things that we can mean. If we look to the world, we're going to get psychobabble as our definition. It's going to be emotion-filled optimism. It's going to be phrases like, it will all work out. Everything happens for a reason. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. If you look up just a, a general dictionary definition, it says a feeling of expectation or a desire for something to happen. That is not biblical hope. That is worldly hope. Biblical hope is a hope that is built on faith. It doesn't, see, this, this hope that I just explained or described, this sort of non-biblical worldly hope, it's not built on faith. It doesn't resist challenges or stand up to adversity. This sort of so-called hope can change 
based on what a person is feeling, or it can change based on what a person's perspective or thoughts are at any given time on any given subject. Biblical hope, on the other hand, looks very different. Biblical hope is based on the foundation of God's character and on our faith in that character. Biblical hope is confident anticipation. See, for, for the Christian, hope isn't a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Think of a song that we sometimes sing. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That song is saying that it is because of who Jesus is that we have hope. It isn't emotion. There is no room for doubt. It will happen because of who he is, because of who his character or what his character is. See, we, also, we oftentimes attach the word so to our hope. We'll say something like, oh, I hope so. That so is full of doubt. And Christian hope, biblical hope, has no room for so. So in essence, hope actually becomes a state of mind that we as believers can choose to operate in or We can choose to discard it and allow worldly influences to cast doubt and to make us anxious and ultimately hopeless. It's a state of mind that we get to choose as believers. Paul says in Romans 8 that if we are living in hope, we are eagerly waiting while we persevere. See, the Old Testament saints, they lived through hope. They lived with hope. They understood who God was, and they anticipated what he was going to do. But their understanding of what he was going to do was limited. They were waiting for a Messiah that would rebuild the nation of Israel and restore the kingly line of David. And they were under the law of Moses, and they understood that sacrifices were the means of atoning for sin. They were limited in what they understood. There was a mystery that had not been revealed to them. If we go back to Romans 8, we see that the power of the gospel is that it was able to do what the law could not do. So in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The power of the gospel wasn't fully revealed until the mystery of the church was revealed. So the hope that is revealed through this mystery is a hope that is full of power because it is full of the Holy Spirit and it is full of the Holy Spirit on display. We are able to fully and confidently anticipate 
the work of the Holy Spirit because we have been given the understanding of this mystery. So when we pray for the Spirit to move, we should expect the Spirit to move. When we pray for the Spirit to give us spiritual gifts, we should anticipate those gifts being given to us. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit's power leads us. It convicts us. It teaches us. It equips us to do the work that we have been called to do. And this was the hope that was revealed through the mystery of the church. And this is the hope in this time and in this place that we can grasp onto as we are interacting with the world and we see people that are hopeless and we see people that have no direction and nowhere to go and nothing to do. We have the answers that they need because it is the power of the Holy Spirit and proclamation of the gospel through the church that has been revealed. That's how we handle this season, Christmas time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing to a lost world the Savior that they need. And again, not just the baby in the manger, but the coming King. So that's point number one hope through a mystery. The second point that we see here, the way that we can grasp hope through these verses, is through suffering. In this passage, Paul is able to rejoice in his sufferings, but he's also making a connection between hope and suffering, and that's what we're going to kind of flesh out here. Peter also makes a connection between hope and suffering in 1 Peter 3, when he writes in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed." For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Both Paul and Peter continue this idea in other places as well. In Philippians 3, Paul actually says that he embraces the fellowship of sufferings as it is something to strive for. And in Acts 5, Peter is thankful that he was counted worthy to suffer on behalf of the gospel. They both speak of this internal hope that manifests itself through their suffering. So the question then is, how does suffering display hope? Well, it comes back to our previous point. Paul and Peter were both saved by grace through faith. Both of them had been given a specific calling and equipped with specific gifts. They both had been filled with the Holy Spirit And God had shown both of them how the gospel was to be spread throughout the world. Both of them had spoken to Jesus and were familiar with Jesus' own words about suffering. And they knew it was going to happen for them, so it was just a matter of why they were going to suffer. It wasn't a matter of if, it wasn't a matter of when, it was just simply a matter of why. 
And that is the question that each one of us often asks, but we may ask it incorrectly. As they suffered, they shared the gospel. As they suffered, they drew closer to the Lord. As they suffered, they continued using their gifts and living out their callings. And as they suffered, their faith and their hope remained consistent. Their faith was based on who Jesus was, regardless of their personal circumstances. And their hope continued to show the work that the Holy Spirit was doing in the midst of their circumstances. See, the more they suffered for the sake of the gospel, the more impactful the Holy Spirit was on the lives of others. I want you to hear that one again. The more that Paul and Peter suffered for the sake of the gospel, the more the Holy Spirit impacted the lives of others. And this is where both of them found hope. Paul understood that he was suffering on behalf of the gospel, but he also understood and found great hope and great joy in the fact that he was suffering on behalf of other believers, especially Gentile believers. He took pride in knowing that he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and everything that he was doing was to draw them closer to the Lord. See, so this is where we start to reflect in on our own lives. And right here, right now, I need to give a, a warning. I'm going to throw a couple darts. They might sting. I mean it in love. As we reflect, remember I had to reflect on this myself as well. But there's some things that I, I really feel we need to hear and we need to understand if you get offended, that's between you and God, not me. Okay, I'm just saying, here we go. Listen, somewhere along the line, because I know that there are many of us right here, right now that are suffering, but somewhere along the line, our own expectations have begun to interfere with reality. Many of us have convinced ourselves that following Christ means limited or no suffering. Many of us have added to our suffering because of these incorrect expectations. Timothy Keller says about half of our suffering is self-created because of these incorrect expectations. See, many of us hold on to or we exaggerate our sufferings because we have found that that is the easiest way to get attention and sympathy from others. For many of us, our suffering is simply something that has become selfish. We're focused on our wants. We're focused on our desires, on our health, on our needs. Our, 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 our. The more focused on our we become, the more hopeless we end up feeling. Because we've taken biblical hope and we've replaced it with worldly garbage or worldly hope. 
See, if the way we are handling our suffering is worldly, we've moved away from the comfort and the hope of the Bible. We've moved into worldly, emotionally, wishy-washy nonsense and not confident anticipation. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that hope and suffering cannot have emotion tied to them. They absolutely can, and they absolutely should. But our emotion is not what can control or should control our suffering. See, for Peter and Paul, if we look at their lives, the more they suffered, the more their hope was revealed. But for many of us, the more we suffer, the more hopeless we appear. There is no hope in your own suffering. And if you're suffering for yourself, you're hopeless. But suffering on behalf of others, suffering on behalf of the gospel, that is where hope shines through. Now for each one of us, if you're in a position or a place of suffering and you know or you can sense that your suffering is selfish, this is something you, set, you sort out between you and God. You repent. You give it to Him. Because anything that we put in His position, anything we put above Him is an idol. And our own suffering most definitely can become an idol for many of us. So you repent and you give it to Him. Let hope shine through your suffering because you're suffering for the gospel. You're suffering for other people. Don't keep it for yourself. Don't make it a selfish thing. That's point two. Point number three. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. Verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the hope of glory is present, so it is here and it is now, but it is also forward thinking. It is future thinking. When we think of the hope of glory, we are thinking of the coming hope. We are thinking of the coming king. This is related to the glorification part of our salvation that we've already talked about. See, right now in our sanctification, we have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel to all ends of the earth. And while we're doing this here on the earth, Jesus is preparing a place for his bride. We know he's doing other things as well. But when he is finished, he is going to receive his bride to himself and we will be in glory with him, as he says in John 14. And then in Revelation 19, it speaks of him as the conquering king, the Messiah that is long, has been longed for, to defeat all of his enemies and reestablish the line of David, the nation of Israel, and the millennial kingdom. 
In verse 11 of Revelation 19, it says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So why do we have hope and glory? Because this is what it's all about. Reconciliation to God. To be in his presence. To hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. Heaven and nature will be restored. We will have a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and nature sing. Jesus conquering all of his enemies. Sin conquered. Disease conquered. Principalities and powers conquered. Corruption and injustice conquered. Satan conquered. Death conquered. And we are right there with him. His enemies are crumpled up. They're placed at his feet as a footstool. And we experience it with him. Then, after all of that takes place, Then, our Lord and Savior turns to his Father and he surrenders all authority back to him. This is an awesome culmination of this entire book. And we are there. The hope of glory. When I think about these things, I often start to feel sorry for the Apostle John. Because he's already experienced them. He got to see them take place, and now he's just waiting for them to actually take place. I think of him in heaven with the other disciples, telling them about everything that he's encountered and everything that he wrote down, that he got to see. I think specifically of the time coming up with the new Jerusalem and the 12 foundations that are all of the disciples' names. And because it's the disciples, you know they're arguing about whose name came first, right? (laughs) But they don't get to know. We don't get to know until it happens. So we're there with John. We're just waiting. But he's already seen it. He's already tasted it. It's like when Paul went to heaven and came back. He's already tasted it. Our hope is in what they've already experienced. But the culmination of our hope as believers on this side of the gospel is the Lord's return. And so we hope, we wait with great anticipation. Again, it is not an if, it is a when. We wait with great urgency because we know 
It could happen at any time. And it's because of this great anticipation and this great urgency that we continue to share the gospel, that we continue to build one another up as the body, and that we are busy about the Father's business until he returns. And during this time of year, when we reflect back on the lowly manger and the Messiah that was born into it, and we think about the stages of his life into the gospel, and we share that gospel with a world that doesn't know him but needs him, we don't stop there. We get to the place where we talk about the coming king. We get to the place where we, I would love to see a manger in our front yard and a white horse with the king sitting right next to it. And those could be our Christmas decorations. It's because of this great anticipation that we are about our Father's business. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Our hope in glory is filled with anticipation because of who he is. So I'm going to read you the lyrics to Joy to the World. And you decide for yourself if it's a Christmas song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This is definitely a Christmas song. If you have the right perspective of who Jesus is, not just what he has done, but what he is doing and what we are waiting for him to do, let freedom ring through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his gospel, through his return. That is where we place our hope. Now, I'm going to ask the band and the prayer teams to come up. And I'm just going to ask you guys a series of questions. So as we are moving into this Christmas season, some of us, in order to, to view it correctly, to have the hope that we need to have so we can share it with other people, Some of us may need to take care of some business between us and the Lord. Maybe even some business between yourself and somebody else. So I'm going to ask you to stand.
Some simple questions. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Are you spreading the gospel and living on mission, sharing real hope with others? Is the hope that you're clinging to, is it biblical or is it worldly? Are you suffering for yourself or are you suffering for the gospel and others? Is the hope that you have in you this hope of glory that we just talked about? See, as we embark on this season, you've got to handle these questions. Otherwise, it's going to be a season of missed opportunities. It's going to be a season of misplaced emotions. It's going to be a season that does not spread hope or glorify the Lord. So if there's a time right here and right now, if you need prayer, I want you to come up. For some of us, we might simply need to repent of something. If you have placed anything, as I said earlier, in, in the position of Lord of your life or above the Lord of your life, you need to tear it down, you need to repent of it, and you need to give it back to the Lord today. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't get stubborn. Don't get pride-filled. Get rid of it today. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus himself said, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess to my Father. But he whoever, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. Today could be the day of your salvation, the day that you place your faith and trust in him. And if that's something that you need to do, then come forward, come talk to me, come talk to one of the prayer team, come talk to one of the other pastors. There are people in this room right now that need to do business with God. Handle your business. Thanks for listening to week one of our Christmas series. We hope and pray that the Lord ministered to you throughout the teaching. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For times and locations, or even if you just want to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, visit our website at ccseportland.com. Join us again next week for part two of our series, As We Behold Comfort. Comfort.